The best way to listen to Radio Captain U is on the way to practice. You can subscribe for free through the podcast app on your iPhone or Android and then enjoy more than 40 episodes. We'd like to thank our partners, including U.S. Lacrosse and the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, for their leadership in communicating sports science and technology. There's a lot more to being a successful athlete than learning technique and tactics. On Radio Captain U, we introduce you to the leaders of the sports revolution. Welcome to Radio Captain U. I'm Avi Stopper. And on this episode of the show, we're speaking with Matt Fitzgerald, who is a running coach and expert on the physiology and psychology behind running and improving your running technique. A lot of what he's found and a lot of the latest science on running is quite surprising. Let's dive into the interview now. Well, Matt Fitzgerald, welcome to Radio Captain U. I'd like to start with what may seem kind of like an obvious question. Why does running technique matter? Well, yeah, that's a big question. It matters in endurance-type sports, any sport where you're running to the point of fatigue, primarily because good running technique makes you efficient, and the more efficient you are, the longer you can run before you get tired. In sprinting, it's a little different. Technique really contributes to power generation. You know, when you're sprinting for just 40 yards to 100 meters, getting tired isn't the issue. You're just trying to go as fast as possible. But I come from an endurance sports background, so when I think of good running technique, it's technique that makes you efficient. That's an interesting distinction. And one thing that jumps to mind that I've always thought is pretty interesting is if you're an ice hockey player, for example, it's kind of like you have to actually learn how to run or at least what running is in that sport first. And I know that they do certainly in hockey, developmental hockey leagues and teams, there's a lot of skating technique training. It doesn't seem like that's the case really for running. I'm curious if you have a sense of why that is and whether you feel like that's something that general sports teams should be doing soccer, basketball, those kinds of teams. Yeah, that is a good point. Running is different because, you know, it's more like walking, something that virtually every human can do, and it's self-taught. At around the age of three years, just about every child learns how to run on his or her own. And from that point forward, the more running experience a child acquires and the more he or she grows up, the more efficient he becomes or she becomes as a runner. So it just happens on its own. It's very different in other activities like, say, swimming. You know, with the freestyle swim stroke, it's not natural at all. No one just jumps in a pool and starts swimming like Michael Phelps. So it's those other things, those other types of technique sports aren't self-taught. The way running is just very natural human movement. It's interesting because you've used the word efficiency now a few times, and it sounds like that's really the ideal. And I'm thinking about young kids running who are just maybe starting to run look a little bit unbalanced and it sounds like from what you're saying there's kind of a natural progression of improved efficiency over time but it sounds like maybe you reach some sort of peak where the returns or improvements slow down and maybe it's the last 20 percent or so that really need to be taught would you describe it like that You know what? It's funny. That is definitely intuitive. You would think that might be the case, but research really doesn't support it. It's really been since the early 1960s that biomechanics scientists have looked at different ways to try to tweak the way people run. For example, shorten your stride a little bit or 
try to run with less impact or try to bounce less. And what they found over more than 50 years is that no matter what they do to ask runners to change their stride, they actually become less efficient. No matter how textbook the change is, nothing we do to intervene with how a runner naturally runs accelerates the process of becoming more efficient. Whereas if you just leave the runner's stride alone, it keeps on becoming more efficient and never stops. It's interesting, if you take elderly runners, runners who are over 60 years of age, they are just as economical as runners who are 40 years younger, even though they've lost things like They've lost power, they've lost strength, they've lost flexibility. Everything else goes except efficiency because the more you keep running, the more your brain and your muscles find ways to communicate more efficiently. So the analogy I make is that becoming an efficient runner is more like growing a beard than chopping wood. You just let it happen. You don't do it. (laughs) Quite the visual there. I guess I'm pretty shocked to hear that. I mean, it seems pretty counterintuitive. And I guess it raises or begs the question, if you're coaching people how to run, what do you teach them? What do you tell them to do? Again, you know, the research says get out of the way. Do not intervene. There's another important distinction that has to be made. So far, we're talking entirely about running technique as it relates to performance and efficiency. Running technique as it relates to injury prevention is a separate issue. So there is pretty good research showing that certain common overuse injuries like runner's knee, they tend to be associated with particular idiosyncrasies in the way someone runs. And if you intervene there and try and tweak the stride flaw that contributes to that injury risk, that can help. You can reduce the chance that you'll get the same injury again. But when it comes to just performing better, becoming more efficient, there's simply nothing you can do to push the process along other than just allow the runner to keep running and figure it out for himself or herself. So does that mean then that some of the injury prevention kind of stuff actually may cause some sacrifices in overall efficiency because you're saying, hey, the way you're running, while it may be optimized for your body and the most efficient thing that you can possibly do right now for how your body works, you need to actually change that and sort of accept that you may become a little bit more inefficient? That's exactly right. And I can give you a personal example there. I'm a runner myself, and a few years ago, I developed an injury that required me to change my stride. And the way I changed my stride was to adopt more of like a scooting style of running, more of like a Groucho Marx running style, where I was putting less strain on my Achilles tendon, which is where the injury was. And after several months of running in that new style, I actually had some testing done in an exercise science laboratory. And when the testing was done, what the researcher who was working with me did is he had me run both ways. He had me go back to my natural stride and then switch to my modified stride that helped with my injury. And what he found was that my impact forces were much lower with my new stride, which made sense. I was hitting the ground not as hard, so it wasn't as hard on my injury. But he also found that I was significantly less efficient with the new stride, even though I had been practicing it for months. So I'd had plenty of time to adjust to it, but I was still much more efficient when I reverted back to my natural stride. And that's very normal. That's just kind of the way it is. So it sounds like there actually are some pretty clear ways to measure efficiency. How is that done? Yeah, the standard way of measuring efficiency is with oxygen consumption. It's kind of similar to gas mileage in a car. You know, in a car, you have a very fuel-efficient car, you might get 40 miles per gallon, whereas a gas guzzler might get only 20 miles per gallon. In running, what you'll do is run at a certain steady speed on a treadmill while instruments are used to measure how much oxygen you're taking in. The more oxygen you're taking in, the more energy you're using to run at a certain speed. 
So if after four months of training, you're using, say, 5% less oxygen to run at the same speed, that means you've become a more efficient runner. Does that mean that your breathing rate slows down or the size of the gulps of air that you're taking are smaller? Yeah, you're actually breathing not as hard and not as fast as what would happen. It might not be something you're conscious of at all. You're just, your cardiovascular system, the way it changes when you build fitness, you tend to be more efficient at drawing oxygen from the air. But also, things that affect your efficiency, even losing weight, would allow you to take in less oxygen to run at the same speed and also just simply becoming more coordinated. And again, it's not something you would be conscious of at all. If you're an absolute beginner as a runner and you just run consistently for, say, 10 weeks, your stride will evolve. Even if you forget about oxygen and just measure the way you land, the way your limbs move, there will be this very slow, gradual evolution that you have no idea that's even happening. Just as a runner, you would experience, wow, it's really getting easier and easier to run the same pace. And the way that's measured in the lab is through that oxygen consumption. It's just taking less to do the same job. It's interesting that there's that evolution even over a few short weeks. But by the same token, it sounds like you're saying that where you are at this moment, the way that you run is the best way. So rather than sort of immediately aspiring to run like I might run six weeks out if I were to get on a pretty intensive program or training regimen, rather than trying to force that kind of stride, what I'm doing right now is actually most optimized for where I am now. That's right, yeah. The way to think about it is that you sort of have to earn your stride. Where you are now is the best you can do now. That doesn't mean you are where you want to end up. Let me give you an example of a feature that's very common in the strides of the best runners, and that is a very high cadence. If you look at Olympic-level runners, they tend to take somewhere around 180 steps per minute. And, of course, that's measurable, and any runner can right now change their stride to get up to that level. But what will happen if you do it is you'll become less efficient. So even though that stride rate, that high stride rate of 180 steps per minute is a feature of quote-unquote good form, if you actually just forced yourself to adopt that now, you'll become less efficient. However, if you just let yourself run and keep training, your stride will naturally evolve so that your cadence increases. On one level, it doesn't seem to make any sense at all. It's like, well, if you end up at the same place, why can't you just leap ahead? But there's all kinds of much more subtle stuff that's happening with your stride. It's not just the big measurable thing, you know, the changing cadence that's going on. That's why I say you have to kind of earn it. The destination is a higher stride rate, but your body has to learn lots of little shortcuts on an unconscious level because every body's different and you can't just force exactly the same pattern on every runner. And your body has this deep intelligence that with just simple practice, it'll figure it out for itself, but it's a process. I have to say, I'm really just blown away here. This is totally not what I was expecting to hear. So this is great. Thanks so much. I want to ask you, so, I mean, it sounds like even though where you are at a given moment may be your optimal or most efficient stride for that particular moment, it sounds like, you know, if you're out watching a youth soccer game or something like that, and you see someone with kind of an awkward stride or arms flying all over the place, it sounds to me like what you're saying is that where they are with their running form at that moment is the best for them, but it may still be far from fully optimized where it could be at some point down the line with some real training. Yeah. And it's not like everyone is destined to be a beautiful runner given enough time and practice. That's just kind of the way it is. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not fair, but it's true. Just like not everyone has a gift for running or any sport in general. So 
But at the same time, you'll actually see some very, very good runners who are a little bit awkward looking when they run. But one thing is guaranteed, if you try to intervene and iron out those awkward aspects of the stride, they will take a step backward with their efficiency. Again, more than 50 years of trying to find some way to step in and make a change that allows runners to take a leap forward with their efficiency. We just haven't found it. I certainly want to talk about training techniques and how you can move in that continually optimized and improved sort of earn it direction. But first I want to ask you real quickly, yesterday I was up in Boulder, Colorado, and I saw a guy who was out pushing a stroller running barefoot. And I was reminded in advance of this interview here that I keep hearing all this stuff about the dangers of running with a heel strike. And I think the idea there is basically because we wear these cushy shoes, we land on our heels and put undue pressure on our heels. Now, is this all to say that really if you have a pretty heavy heel strike, that's really just kind of where you are at that moment. And that's okay. That's the best, most optimized way to run for you. Yeah, again, so we get back here to that distinction between efficiency versus injury risk. It's also put out, well, heel striking is supposed to be bad for two reasons. One, it increases injury risk, and two, it's like running with the parking brake on and it makes you less efficient. However, let's take the efficiency side first. When studies have taken natural heel strikers and natural forefoot strikers and measured their efficiency, there's no difference. And when they take the fourth strikers and make them run on their heel and they take the heel strikers and make them run on their forefoot, both groups become less efficient. So even though one way of landing is supposed to be better than the other, it seems that the people who remain heel strikers, even when they're experienced runners, they're doing that for a reason. They are more efficient that way. Now, injury risk is another matter. Heel strikers tend to have a higher risk for certain kinds of injuries, not all injuries, but certain kinds. So again, that could be an instance where if you're a runner and you're getting injured a lot and you are a pronounced heel striker, it may be worth the slight sacrifice and efficiency because if you're not able to run at all, you're not going to get any better. But also footwear can make a difference. And if you move from sort of a more overbuilt shoe to something that is lower to the ground, you might, and that's actually a better way to change your form because you're not thinking about it that way. Your body's just naturally adjusting to a change in equipment, basically. All right, so let's talk a little bit about actual steps that one can take. So you were talking before about this concept of really earning better form. So what do you recommend for folks to really get on that path? Is it as simple as just run more? Yeah. You know, it's not really very different from playing a musical instrument. Say you want to take up the guitar and you want to get better fast. The way to do it is practice more. You spend more time with the instrument. Yes, you can do certain finger exercises and stuff, but really, any musician will tell you the way to get better is if you practice half an hour a day, you'll improve at a certain rate. But if you practice an hour a day, you'll improve much faster. Running is exactly the same way it's because it's repetition. Here's how the learning process actually works. Every time you run, believe it or not, Every stride you take, they're like snowflakes. Every stride you take is slightly different from every other. You can't see it with the naked eye, but subtle instruments like accelerometers can pick up these tiny differences in your movement patterns. And when you're running along, taking a slightly different stride every time, your brain is actually reading feedback from your body. And your brain will notice when you take a stride that is a little tiny bit more efficient than the one before, and huh. will sort of capture that 
pattern and add it to the blueprint. Obviously, you're not going to improve much with one single step, but you'll take thousands of steps in a run. And the whole time you're doing that, your brain is kind of listening to your body and finding little shortcuts. And again, you're completely unaware that this is happening. But you can see why it's almost like every stride you take is a little experiment. And with a little luck, the experiment works out to help you get a tiny bit more efficient. So you can see how the more you do this, the faster the process of finding shortcuts will add up. So you can't just run all day every day for the sake of becoming an efficient runner because you need time to recover. And if you're a beginner, you need to kind of ease into the process. But nevertheless, the big picture is if you want to improve faster, it's like juggling. If you want to get to be a better juggler, spend more time juggling. Running is really not that different. And it sounds like if you want to get better at running, go out and run and don't think too much about it. Just go do it. Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is that if you were to try and isolate one single measurement that is the hallmark of skillful running, it's actually brain activity. So if you were imaging someone's brain while they're running and there was almost nothing going on, you would know that that was a really experienced, skillful runner. It's almost like autopilot. You're so practiced because the less activity there is in your brain, that means the less muscle activity there is because it's your brain that is making your muscles work. And by the way, this is true in every sport. If you took golfers and looked at their brains while they were putting, the golfers who were the best, most accurate putters would be the ones with the least going on in their brains. That's one way you can see why intervening and forcing runners to run with an unnatural stride, even if it's a textbook change you're making, it's counterproductive because when you force yourself out of your natural stride, you're increasing brain activity. So you're doing exactly the opposite of what you mean to do by forcing your brain to become sort of more awake and alert and controlling of your actions when it really wants to be quiet. So learning how to maintain that peace of mind seems like it may be a skill. I, for one, often find that when I'm running, I either have some song going over and over in my head that is often in time with my breathing or I'm thinking about work or something else like that. How do you start to develop that skill to kind of let things go and have as little brain activity as possible? Yeah, there's a fascinating study done a few years ago by German researchers. And what they did is they had runners run on a treadmill and they asked them to think about each of three different things. So they ran for 10 minutes with something different in their mind each time. On one occasion, they had them think about their movement. So they're focusing their attention on how their body was moving. Another time, they focused on their breathing. And a third time, they were just asked to focus on the environment outside of themselves. And believe it or not, even though they were running at the same pace the whole time, and they were not actually asked to change how they were running, just to change what they were thinking about, they actually were more efficient when they were thinking about the world outside themselves. They were least efficient when they were thinking about their bodies. So it's not even necessarily the effect of changing how you run. It's also, again, what you're actually thinking about, what you're feeling, where your attention is focused. So to become more efficient, you want to get your mind off your body and onto your environment. It's not that different from shooting free throws on a basketball court. People are actually more efficient when they focus on the back of the rim than they are when they think about, say, like snapping their wrist when they release the ball. You want to be as unselfconscious as possible. And you can train that a little bit. As you said, you find yourself naturally humming a tune or thinking about work. That's actually good because those are really external focuses of attention. 
but you can catch yourself. You know, if you're running along and you find that you're thinking too much about how your feet are landing or how you look, you can just catch yourself in that moment and start thinking about something else. If you're running in a nice environment, start just focusing on the environment around you instead of being too self-conscious. It's so interesting because, I mean, self-consciousness makes me think about being present. It sounds like what you're suggesting is really kind of like let your mind wander, which sounds a little bit opposite from being present. Yeah, the difference is, I would think of it in terms of task focus versus body focus. It's not all one thing or the other. Of course, you're not going to be completely oblivious of your own body when you're performing. But again, this is true of every sport. Let's take another example with swimming. There was one study done with swimmers where they were asked to sprint 25 meters. And on one occasion, they were asked to think about pulling their arms through the water as fast as they could. And on another occasion, they were asked to think about pushing the water back with their arms. And they actually performed much better when they were asked to think about pushing the water back versus moving their arm as fast as they could. So again, the difference was whether they were thinking about their body or thinking about how their body was interacting with the environment around them. So it's not that you're putting your mind onto things that are completely irrelevant. You're just focused on the task versus just your body. Because no matter what sport you're doing, your body is interacting with the environment. And where your body and your movements meet the environment, that's what matters. It's not how your foot lands or how your legs feels. Those things are just one small piece of the equation where what really matters above all is that meeting point between your body and the environment, the task, not the body. We have time for one last question. This has been super fascinating. It seems to me like that also helps you kind of not pay attention to pain because body focus would seem to also suggest like, wow, my legs are really tired or hurting or my chest hurts because I've been breathing so hard. And it seems like if you're focused more on the task and less on your body, you're going to be less oriented around pain than actually getting the job done. Is that kind of how you see it? Yes, that's actually a very astute observation, and it's absolutely true. That's why, for example, when studies have been done on the effect of music on endurance performance, the right kind of music is performance-enhancing for precisely that reason. It takes your mind off of your pain and puts it on something else. Competition works the same way. If you take a runner and put him on a track and say, I want you to run a mile as fast as you can, and then a week later you take the same runner, put him on the track, and ask him to race another runner, of course he's going to run faster when he's racing than when he is on his own. And the same thing is happening. The presence of someone to compete against pulls your mind outside of focusing on how you're feeling and gives you something external to focus on. So yes, that external focus of attention is beneficial both for movement efficiency and for basically pain tolerance. Well, Matt Fitzgerald, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fascinating and not what I expected, I must say. Thanks so much for being our guest. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. We hope that Radio Captain U helps you be more successful on the field. Radio Captain U is a production of Captain U, the network that helps high school athletes, youth coaches, tournament directors, and college coaches be more successful. For more information, visit www.captainu.com. The opinions expressed on the show do not represent the opinions or recommendations of Captain U or its partners.